Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Trieste in Italy. Where's Trieste, you might ask? Well, I just gave you the coordinates, but the reason why we're here is to spend some time at the shipyard in Fincantieri uh, in uh, Monfalcone in Italy, where they're, like every other shipyard in the world, operating at 100% capacity. Believe it or not, Every shipyard in the world is running full. 57 new cruise ships of every size and pedigree are being constructed. Uh, The industry is on the verge of a major explosion of new tonnage, as they like to call it. And we're here for one particular ceremony, which has some great historical significance if you're in the the shipbuilding business. It's called the Coin Ceremony. I'll explain that in a little bit with MSC Cruises. And if you haven't heard of MSC Cruises, uh, you're not alone. In fact... It's surprising since MSC Cruises is the world's fourth largest cruise line and the largest privately owned cruise company in the world. Uh, And in fact, if you add in all their other ships, they are huge. Um, And they're building uh, their biggest ship ever. And in fact, the biggest ship ever built at this shipyard called Seaside. And what's the coin ceremony? It's a naval tradition going back hundreds of years where before the ship is completed and after they've laid the keel, they insert a ceremonial coin inside the ship that, of course, will then sail with the ship forever. And uh, that's what they're doing today. Uh, This ship will be coming online next year, uh, and uh, quite a big ship it is. Uh, Lots of things to talk about about that throughout this show because it's not just MSC, it's the cruise industry worldwide and how things are changing, but consider this. Believe it or not, um, this company has 12 ships, and uh, and they're going now, and this is the thing that's staggering to me. Uh, talk about a change in the world. 
they're going to more than 1,000 routes and ports around the globe. Uh, another surprise, you may have heard the story already because we covered it, of the first U.S. cruise line, uh, which is Carnival and their, and their brand Fathom, uh, to sail into Havana, just happened a few days ago. Um, and that's a big deal. It's the, it's the first U.S.-based cruise ship to sail into Havana in, in, in decades. Uh, and yet, surprise, surprise, here's MSC, a European-based cruise line that has had one of their ships home-ported in Cuba for quite some time now. So, you know, it, leave it to the Europeans to, to beat us every chance they get, and they just beat us again. Uh, but a whole different experience on MSC because it's not the traditional seven-day U.S. cruise experience where, you know, everybody's there with the kids uh, and it's Orlando and it's Disney and it's... No, this is a European experience. Uh, different kind of uh, food offerings, different kind of languages spoken, uh, different kinds of music played on board. Um, and if you're looking for a different kind of cruise experience... Uh, one that will be more culturally immersive, perhaps, this might be the way to go. Uh, but the real challenge right now for the entire cruise industry is where are you going to go now? You know, with every ship being built already uh, spoken for, with all the other ships that are coming online, where can you go that you haven't gone before uh, that, make, that make it viable, that make it interesting, that make it safe? Uh, that preserves a, a truly authentic, genuine experience. And that's really the challenge, because if you take a look at river cruising, which has had explosive growth over the last 10 years and truly explosive growth uh, in the last six, um, you know, at a certain point, you run out of rivers. Or as we're seeing in certain parts of the world right now with drought conditions, you run out of water depth and and the, and the rivers aren't navigable. Uh now, that hasn't happened worldwide yet, but it's a concern. But with the cruise line industry, think about this. Uh, we did the show recently from the Mississippi River uh, and, 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 the American, and the American cruise lines doing the riverboat cruises. They're coming back on the Mississippi. Uh, how about the Columbia River? People forget that's a navigable river and there's some great cruises there. But there's the Volga in Russia. Um, there are rivers in China that have yet to be explored. Um, there are rivers in seacoasts in Africa that once those countries get more stable, become viable ports. Um, and you'll see that while the worst word that starts with F in the travel industry, fear, gets operated in, in terms of where cruise lines suddenly don't want to go when things happen, You'll see cruises basically opt to move out of Istanbul as a port call because of what happened with some recent terrorist activity. But you know what? They'll come back. and Or maybe they'll go to another part of Turkey. Maybe they'll go to Antalya or they'll go to Dalaman or they'll go to Bodrum. Um, the great opportunity now for people in who are thinking about taking a cruise. And the statistics, by the way, are staggering and surprising. How many people do you think have ever taken a cruise? Let me give you this statistic. This year, 1.2 billion, you heard me, billion people will cross an international border. How many Americans will cruise? About 23 million. That's a small, infinitesimal fraction of that 1.2 billion amount. So the opportunity for growth is, I won't say limitless, because that's where people get into trouble, but it's certainly substantial. So something to think about uh, when looking at where you want to go. Do you want to take a three or four day introductory cruise or do you want to get more bold and go to some places that are only really accessible by ship or sometimes even by the smaller ships? All sorts of opportunities there. So stick around. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Joining me 
now at the shipyard, the CEO of MSC Cruises, Gianni Onorato. How are you, sir? Very well. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> nice to be here. And nice to have you here. You know, looking around the shipyard, if I didn't know any better, I would think that the economy has never been better in the world for anything, especially cruise ships. There was a time they weren't that busy. Now, every single shipyard in the world is operating at 100% capacity. At last count, 57 new ships of every size and pedigree are being built. The shipyards, are, are they can't build any more, and you've got a lot of them as well. Oh yes, definitely. That's a very nice moment. It's a moment where uh, there is a, it's a very euphoric moment for the cruise industry. Uh, we are building, for example, at MSC, 11 new ships uh, in the next 10 years. So we have, uh, uh, let's say, ships ordered until 2000, 2026. So it's, uh, it's really a very nice moment. And uh, so new ships are coming in the market. So this means that this, it's a very exciting moment. It's a very exciting moment if you happen to own a shipyard, too, because you're, you, you're just guaranteed work for all of your people and profits for 15 to 20 years. Of course, the three yards that today really are, uh, are ruling, uh, let's say, the, the shipbuilding business uh, worldwide in Italy, in France, and in Germany, uh, uh, but it's also an opportunity to create jobs, uh, additional jobs uh, in these countries, and not only because there is all over a surrounding network of people coming from all over the world who are participating to a construction of a ship. Now, there's euphoria, but is it backed by common sense? Some people would say, oh, my God, you're building so many ships, you're going to have an excess capacity. You say no. Definitely not. Otherwise, we would be crazy on building all, the, all those ships. We do think that the, the cruise uh, as, a, as a type of holiday is very underpenetrated in most of the worldwide markets. Give me an idea of the percentage, because when we were talking before the show, you gave me some numbers that were actually surprisingly low. There are only 23 million guests uh, traveling on a cruise every year in the world, which 30 million are uh, North Americans and only 6.5 are uh, Europeans. And uh, now a portion of approximately 1.5 million are going to be Chinese. So it's a very, very low number if you consider the population and the number of holiday packages that are sold around the world in one year. Well, putting that in perspective, we're talking about 130 million Chinese people that will be traveling this burgeoning middle class and only 1.5 million maybe on a cruise, that's nothing. Definitely. That's what uh, this confirms what I was saying of the low penetration. And then if we add on it that uh, the high value for money and also the, uh, let's say, the, the excitement of leaving totally a new type of holiday, this makes the, the cruise industry, uh, you know, a very, very solid industry for the next uh, 25 years. You know, there was a time not too long ago where you thought of a cruise as the Eastern Med, the Western Med, Eastern Caribbean, the Western Caribbean, Alaska, and then every once in a while, one of the cruise lines would do an, you know, an around-the-world cruise or one of their world voyages. Now we're talking about over 1,000 ports. That's staggering. I'm in five continents. So all the five continents of the world are part, uh, are part of this development. I mean, uh, only uh, MSC, which uh, today is uh, uh, only 12 ships. Uh, uh, I mean, we're already calling uh, South Africa. We're calling uh, South America, we're calling Caribbean, we're calling Mediterranean, we're calling Northern Europe, we're calling Middle East, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, we're calling uh, China and Asia. So there is really a wide range and a wide array of ports available for cruising. And while every other cruise line is lining up to go to Cuba, for at least the European market, you were there first. Yeah, we were the first, and uh, we're very excited on that uh, because we have uh, uh, started with one ship last year, and we're going to double uh, next winter. Actually, we are going to have a ship staying there uh, year-round. As a home-ported ship? Absolutely. We have uh, airlifts, uh, flights coming from all over Europe and Canada, which uh, are taking uh, every week uh, uh, 4,500 people. So you're filling the ships? Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's a very appealing destination, and on the top of it, Caribbean overall still remains a very appealing, attracting destination. And for guys who got in first to Cuba, you had to learn all your lessons ahead of everybody else. What's the biggest lesson you learned about dealing with Cuba? Uh, that uh, that you uh, you find a lot of professional people there you know, as a part of the of the supply chain that you need uh, to manage a ship at the same time that uh, uh, there is a birthing uh, uh, challenge a birthing challenge because also bigger ships cannot birth there yet uh, and so that a lot needs to do in terms of infrastructure in terms of logistics and just supplying the ships I mean I always find that so fascinating about how you 
basically provide and provision your ships. You know, how many steaks are you boarding on board? How many ca cases of beer? How many potatoes? I mean, it, it gets pretty down to crazy stuff, you know? How many bottles of vodka versus how many bottles of rum? Are you boarding anything in Cuba? Yes, mainly we do. Rum? <laughs> Rum for sure and cigars for sure. But on the top of it, uh, in this case, MSC uh, is, is, is a much easier life because uh, and the biggest business of MSC shipping is uh, to be the second largest container carrier in the world. So, uh, I mean, we have a good planning and we have a lot of provisions also coming from, uh, from the other parts of the world. So you're supplying yourself. Absolutely, that's what we call, figured it out. That's what we call synergy. Now, one of the reasons why we're here is because you have a new ship at the yard that you're building now, and there's a coin ceremony. What is that? Uh, it's a very, how can I say, it's a very new tradition in the seafaring industry that practically there are these two coins, one from the, from the yard and one from the ship owner, which uh, are practically uh, inserted into the steel of the ship and they will stay for there for the rest of the life. You put the coins in, there's a ceremony, and then the, the whole ship is built around it. Absolutely, and there are also two godmothers. One is representing the yard, one is representing uh, the, uh, the, the cruise line. And so again, the, the signature of these two godmothers will stay with the ship for the rest of the life of the ship. What's special about the coins themselves? The coins themselves, which is, first of all, the golden coins, which is already important. And then it's also a tradition which uh, makes it in a way that is already a piece of something precious that the ship is getting. It's the first precious, uh, 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 precious gift that the ship has, which will keep forever uh, with her. Stupid question, but I gotta ask it. At the end of the life of a ship, when they're breaking the ship apart, where's the coin go? You know, I've, n I've never broken a ship, so I don't know. I would love to find, somebody at the shipyard's gonna have to tell me that story because everybody knows it's in there. Somebody's gonna have to want that coin. I think that they will be taken away before the ship is taken to scrap, I'm but, sure. Well, you'll be the guy to do it. In 30 years time, 40 years, I will tell you. <laughs> but not every cruise line does the coin ceremony. It's a matter of how, uh, how traditional you are. Uh, in our case, uh, 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 our company was born from, uh, from a family uh, of seafarers, old uh, 300 years. So obviously this is a, a tradition which is passing uh, dur uh, during uh, you know, the course of the family or the during generations. Then there are other cruise lines probably which are either younger or they are not really have a strong seafaring tradition or more in the la have a leisure tradition than a seafaring tradition. So probably they believe that this is not necessary. But MSC is really family owned when you think about it. It's the only private uh, uh, family owned company. Out. That's actually it's the largest uh, cruise line, uh, private family owned. And at the same time, it's, the, uh, it's, it's a company which is uh, uh, owned by the Aponte family and what they do is only ship business in shipping and coin manufacturing at least for two of them if you are continuing on to another southwest destination please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information if you are continuing on with another airline we really don't care I love visiting shipyards, especially now because they're so busy. They've never been busier, at least in my recent history. 57 different cruise ships being built of every size and pedigree. And my next guest is building the most number of them. He's got 12 on order. His name is Vago Pier Francesco. Yes. Uh, by the way, when, when I was young, uh, by the time they called me Pier Francesco, the family, I was gone. So by the time they say Pier <laughs> Francesco, just, just Vago. I was gone. No, they gave me a nickname, uh, which oh. is Kiko. Okay, Kiko. So it's now like you're a dog. In like now Kiko. You're in, okay, Kiko. Sit. You know, you don't have to run away. <laughs> you're the executive chairman of MSC yes. Cruises. You have, I mean, there are a lot of ships being ordered. You got 12 on order. Yes. 
Yes, uh, Peter, uh, we, we, we have to look at the future. Uh, we know that there are only three shipyards that can build such complex ships in the world. So we got to have uh, not only an industrial plan well in mind, but we got to foresee what the future will be. So we are, um, the numbers speaks for themselves. Uh, we, today, the cruise industry, which is no longer cruise per se, but it's a type of a vacation, The numbers are 25 million globally, so the potential is there. And uh, if it takes uh, so long and if it takes uh, only three shipyards to build uh, such ships, we got a plan and we got to have a good uh, plan ahead. And this particular shipyard is quite historic. I mean, they built everything from submarines to container ships. They built everything. And now they are building the biggest ship they've ever built, which is yours. Yes, 155,000 gross tonnage. Uh, uh, 323 meters long. So if that's we, almost a thousand feet. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, if we think that uh, the, the biggest ship only up to 15 years ago were 40,000, so we're talking about three times bigger, is considerable. Almost four times bigger. Yeah, four times bigger. Yeah. So it's uh, quite, uh, quite a quite a ship. MSC is a line that's well known. It's it's a young line as as a cruise line, right? Only how many years old? Well, I became CEO of MSC in 2003. So, so 13 years. 13 years and we grew by 800%. And yet you're not a new company. That's it. How many hundreds of years do you go back? Well, the tradition, we are still a family business, and the, the tradition of the family goes back 300 years. So we are actually the second largest shipping line in the world. And all family-owned. All family-owned. And we run in the excess of 500 ships. And I'm sure many of you must have seen those yellow boxes with that funny black logo in the middle, and that is an MSC <laughs> container. And there are a lot of those containers out there. Yeah, many. There are in excess of 5 million boxes around the world. Your brand is well-known in Europe. Uh, you concentrated on that. And now you're getting some of your ships ready to go other places, including more more coming to the U.S. The, we are very well-known also in North America. As a matter of fact, we are the, the largest shipping line, a commercial shipping right, line in North America. But as a cruise line. As a cruise line, uh, first of all, we kept uh, the brand, the logo uh, of uh, the industrial uh, cousin, sure. which is uh, already quite a decision on our side, you know, because we sell in dreams, we sell in holidays. So the fact that we keep an industrial uh, brand is also to show the tradition, the knowledge, the know-how, the history that we, you just mentioned in knowing how to run a, a shipping company. Uh, we're getting to know the consumer because, of course, we, we, we enter the hospitality and we did it in a very strong way with, again, with the 12 new ships that we built since 2003 and we grew by 800%, so quite a, an important number. And this year we will host in excess of 1.7 million passengers. Of course, the growth, like you correctly pointed out, was in Europe. Now we bring in our European family, Savoir Faire, Flair, Mediterranean diet. You There's know, no adapted. such thing as a Mediterranean diet. I've seen the ships, I've seen the food on those ships. You're going to weigh more when when you leave. Uh, indeed. Yeah, you know, you know the, you are. The, there is a lot of food, a lot of eating going on. Yeah, in this, uh, on yeah. pasta on the port side, pasta <laughs> on the starboard side. And mozzarella in the middle. There, now we're cooking. <laughs> but the American market is an interesting market for you because are they ready for your style of cruising? Well, uh, Peter, I think, first of all, uh, we are uh, very uh, particular in the sense that we run and control the product, not only the building of the hardware, but even the software. We control the whole product from A to Z with MSC people, with our employees. So this you're allows not, you're, you're us. You're not outsourcing. We don't outsource nothing, not even the shops, not even the spa. So everything needs fine-tuned within our personnel, with our standards. And that allows us to, yes, have a common denominator, which is the Mediterranean hospitality, but to really adapt to the era where we operate. That means that when we come to North America, of course we're going to North Americanize our product, our experience. Of course we understand what is at stake. Of course we understand certain peculiarities that the market requires. But, like. well, uh, the entertainment, which is very important, the five-star hotel, quality of the food, uh, the choice, uh, and, of course, uh, the hardware. You know, we have an attention to details that I don't think many of our peers can actually see. And who picks that out? Well, that's the sore point, because, uh, yes, uh, you know... The truth now, who picks it out? 
My mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> and she's the boss. And she's the boss. So how you get beaten up for the budget. She does what she wants to do. So I imagine to run a big corporation, have budgets, and deliver dividends every quarter, and have your mother-in-law that comes in and say, I like that. I want that. No matter how much it costs. <laughs> What's the one thing she wanted? You said, are you kidding? And she says, no. And you put it in. What was the one thing that still stands well, out? Well, actually, a pavement made out of gold leaves. <laughs> Actually, on the Divina, she sails out of Miami every Saturday, so you know you can go there and see for yourself. At the entrance of the theater, we, had, we actually have this pavement that is made of gold leaves, and you can't believe not only the expense, of course, it goes without saying, but how long it took to outline these very thin uh, layers of gold leaves. Just because she wanted it. And because the color was matching, and the sensation, and the experience, and the wow effect before entering the Broadway theater. Did you have any say at all in that? You just had to do it. Well, I tried to have my saying, but you know, <laughs> mothers-in-laws are. Uh, does it have a name now? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I try not to keep name. I want to brand the different things because otherwise uh, I love to repeat them. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go We've been talking to Kiko, Vago Per Francesco, the chief executive. What, can we, I can never get the titles right. Uh, the executive chairman. Yeah, executive chairman. You'll live with that, right? Yes, of course. Okay. Of MSC Cruises. Earlier today, uh, while we were watching here, watching a shipyard at work is just amazing because it's not just one ship being built, it's just movement everywhere you look. How many people actually work here? Well, today in the yard we have in excess of 6,000 people, 6,000 workers. Right. So it's quite impressive. The yard is full. It is so totally there is full. many blocks. So what is a yard? The yard is an assembler. So they work the steel, they bend the steel, they weld the steel. So what you see is blocks of uh, in the region of 2,500 tons that are put together. They're outfitted with tubing piping, and they're actually mounted together in a, in a, in a dry dock. And then that's the first stage. And then eventually... There is a lot of work being given to the outside the territory, to the suppliers, sub-suppliers, which actually come in and they provide all the outfittings, uh, the interior decorating, the machinery, the technology. And it, has and, to be gets, done, and it has to be done in sequence. Yeah, all in sequence. So there is a big planning, uh, there is timing, there is uh, engineering, uh, so quite a complex. From the time you conceived the ship, from the actual concept to the design, to the actual construction, to the actual floating out, we're talking two and a half to three years at least? Well, to, to design a prototype, uh, which are not so many because it's very uh, difficult uh, uh, to find the right equilibriums of uh, ratios of public spaces, uh, privacy, enjoyment, uh, flow of the passengers, uh, the cabins. Very complex exercise. It takes more or less 12 months to design a new prototype, a new platform. And if you come up with one you like? And once you go give the go-ahead, then it will take 36 months to actually build the Listen, ship. Listen, once you give the go-ahead, you're stuck with it whether you like it or not. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you're committed, you're once committed. committed. So this ship that we're looking at today, right, the seaside, is going to come on the market November of next year? November 17. Right. And she'll be sailing out of Miami. And, uh, and she's an amazing ship. I mean, uh, she's a new design, new prototype, uh, futuristic. Imagine that, Peter. You know, when we design a ship, we have to think of a ship that will be delivered in five years' time. So it's a ship and that, that will last for at least 20. At least 30. That's Excuse how we amortize. <laughs> yeah. So imagine that we design something that will have to be actual in 10 years' time. So we design something that will be delivered in 2020, and in 2030, we'll actually have to satisfy the requirement, the needs of, of, of our clients. That's, you know? a, that's a little bit of a gamble. Well, it's not a gamble. You've got to have vision. You've got to understand that the technology, entertainment, the, the food experience, you've got to envision what the future will be and what people will want uh, in this type of holiday. And that's uh, an exciting... Uh, okay, so in designing the seaside, what were some of the features you said, you know what, this is going to endure because it's got X. What's X? Well, not only the, the, the made in Italy, the design, she's a, a, a new-looking ship. You know, I want a ship that when you drive down that uh, Miami Beach, uh, you know, Ocean Drive, I mean, you look, you turn your head and you say, wow! 
what was that? You know, and I think we That's the it. ship with all the gold leaf. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the gold leaves are inside. Oh, wait, wait. She didn't get a chance to do that on the other no, ships? No, 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 no. But, 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 what if she, but wait, what if she's listening to this show? Uh, yeah. That's oh, you got a problem. You put him in trouble. I know, okay. But uh, also she's, uh, uh, we call uh, the ship that will follow the sun because we, she's got very generous space, uh, public spaces uh, in the outside. So it means that you can enjoy not only uh, your chaise lounge, uh, you know, your chair uh, and sit outside and spend the whole day there if you want, but there will also be the peculiarity, the, the, the novelty to actually have a public spaces inside that go outside. So you can actually have a drink, you can eat at the restaurant, be inside and being outside very important with the comfort class that means uh, that you can sit outside uh, beyond what we call uh, this uh, deck uh, this outside deck that we call nylai um, close to the sea which is very well protected so you can have a drink you're not gonna uh, be blown away and you're not gonna get blown away and that, yeah. and that is uh, so important a new experience you you enjoy nature now you're also building an island yes so we wanted to give the natural extension to the ship so we found this industrial site in the Bahamas. And by the way, other, other cruise lines, in, in due respect, they have their own private islands too, but this is a little different. This is very different, not only because it's a, an industrial island. In fact, it was uh, created. It's, somehow it was uh, an old island that was in, uh, utilized for dredging argonite, which is a sand, uh, this beautiful sand of the Bahamas. So in the 60s, what they did, they actually uh, dig the channel through the reef. So you can actually enter this island and you can go with the ship, with such a big ship, uh, a thousand feet long. You actually sail through, enter the reef and go alongside uh, to the island. So the island and the ship will be uh, an extension of one another. You know, you can enjoy the ship and the island together and the design and, uh, and the facilities that we put and, the, and the, the, the meters, again, the space, the beaches is so important. Well, you call it a marine reserve. Yes, uh, marine reserve because... Uh, uh, that's uh, another thing to us that it's very important. Uh, you know, Peter, we, we, we live for the sea. We live by the sea. The sea is our life. So we have a great respect for the sea. The sea is our future. So you know how environmentally, how important it is that we respect the sea. And uh, that's the sign and the, and, the, and the present that we want to give to, to the government of the Bahamas to turn uh, this site into a marine reserve where we'll uh, rebuild the reef, where we repopulate the fish. So it will be an amazing job. Now, you talk about the traditions of your family and as seafarers that very much involves even how you operate your ships today for example there are certain traditions like you don't want to sail on a tuesday or a friday right yes uh, you know tradition for us is very important in the marine is it tradition or superstition uh, well there is a little bit of both yeah. it's borderline so it's true we we, we don't start on a tuesday we we don't start uh, so we don't sign a contract we don't start any new activity on a tuesday not on the friday and everybody knows that msc never try to get a contract signed on a tuesday and a friday it won't in happen geneva because it won't happen so if you have a ship in port and it's supposed to sail on a tuesday night you wait until one minute after midnight exactly and then we sail oh my god now the other tradition we just saw today the coin ceremony yes yeah, explain the coin ceremony the coin ceremony goes back to the Roman times. In, uh, in those days, the tradition was that you used to put between the mast and the keel uh, the coin, and it was a sign of a, a pagan uh, a ritual, uh, you know, uh, to wish good luck, uh, to give a good uh, wind uh, to the ship. And it stayed on the ship for the entire life of the ship, of Exactly, course. until uh, the, 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 then the ship eventually was dismantled and the coin was recuperated. So we still have that tradition 5,000 years later you know from the Phoenicians and the Romans till today does the coin ever come back uh, no because the ships are all brand new so we got a long <laughs> way to go before we even think about that so but it's a tradition that you still maintain not every cruise line does that no uh, we have uh, some important moments uh, during the construction of the ship the first is the kill lane sorry the first one is the steel cutting which is uh, the initial uh, cutting of the steel you know that the that um, sig signifies the beginning of the construction of the ship the second one is the coin ceremony which is really the kill lane so the keel goes into the dry dock. Right. And the so third those, one coin, is, those coins were put in today. Yeah. And they were covered. They were welded shut. That's right? it. And now the ship gets built around it. That's it. So now the blocks will be mounted. And the next big important moment will be the floating. When the ship will be put together, assembled, and then it will actually be, it will move into a wet dog. I, I have to tell you, coming here to a shipyard and seeing the amount of steel that goes into one of those ships... 
I could not possibly imagine how it would ever float, but they do. And technology, eh? there is a lot of technology. These uh, babies uh, cost in the excess of a billion dollars nowadays. So the latest technology goes into this piece of machinery. So. Oh, by the way, I just got a phone call from your mother-in-law. There's some gold <laughs> leaf being delivered to this ship. You better get out there right away. The third season of Peter Greenberg's public television series, The Travel Detective, premieres this month. And as in every season, the program was shot all over the world, giving you critical, essential information about everything from understanding frequent flyer miles to how the best tour operators train their guides. While we gear up for season three, we invite you to go to www.trafalgarcontest.com and enter to win the grand prize of a Trafalgar Europe vacation. Or you can always visit our website, petergreenberg.com, for more information. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. You know, I always like to ask a local where I'm going somewhere, but uh, you don't necessarily expect to find someone from Racine, Wisconsin in Trieste. But guess what? Not only is there somebody from Racine, Wisconsin here, she's the president of the Italian-American Association of Trieste. Her name is Caroline Steckley. How are you? I'm great. Well, I should say, how are you, A? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to find other, other Americans here in Trieste. Wonderful. Well, you've been here how long now? I've been here for 13 years. And how did you get here? I got here because I met my husband, who's a Triestino, on a cruise ship. Oh, no. Yep. What, what it ship? wasn't the Titanic. What ship was it? <laughs> it was the Zyderdam. Which was a... Holland America. Holland America, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. How many years ago was that? Gosh, that was... Well, if that was December of 2002, and I was living here. I came on my birthday, June 17, 2003. I was married to him in August, so it was a whirlwind thing, and we're still married. <laughs> but now we have a five-year-old daughter, so... So basically, it's the love boat. It really. It really. Yeah. Unbelievable. Or we call it the, the first CD of the Titanic. <laughs> like, don't put in the second one. But the most amazing thing is, it really happened on a cruise ship in the Med. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, no, it wasn't here, actually. It was in the Caribbean. Oh, excuse my, me. You were you, really... So, basically, you were on vacation, on a cruise, right. minding your own business, and some guy from Trieste said, hello, Caroline. Exactly. Oh. Terrible. No, it was... Um, you know, the Trieste is a, it has Fincantieri, which builds a lot of these cruise ships. In fact, yes. the Zyderdam was, was built by Fincantieri. And so, we've come full circle. Really. Exactly. And my, uh, my husband was working for a company that, at that point, was working for... Uh, was responsible for the refrigeration on a lot of these cruise ships. And he was not supposed to be on the ship, but nobody else wanted to go because there was a problem and it was their fault. So <laughs> he got convinced to go, but he said, well, it's Christmas, New Year's. I think I could go. Maybe I'll have some fun too. So, and there you go. And then he broke the ice. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Now, what did you know about Trieste? Nothing. Nothing. Right. So he, you talk about a fish out of water. Did you speak Italian? I didn't speak Italian. I knew it was close to Venice. I'd been to Venice before because I was an exchange student in Belgium when I was uh, 18. Of course, <laughs> of course you were. And so I was... Uh, and what did he know about Wisconsin? Oh, nothing. Of course. He sure, yeah, not many people know anything about Wisconsin. I know Wisconsin. Really. You do? I, I'm a badger. I went to school there in Madison. Really? You bet. I know, oh. about, I know about wing spread. I really... You, when, where is wing spread? Oh, gosh, don't... If my mother's you listening to this, she's going to kill me. Where is it? Racine. Oh, wing spread. Okay, this is like Frank Lloyd Wright thing, right? Exactly. Okay. See, I got gotcha. you. See what happens when you when you move to Italy. You forget See, about Wisconsin. Gonna, I thought you were going to ask me difficult questions about Trieste. Instead, you ask me things about my own city that I can't answer. But I do love Wisconsin, me and too. I'm a cheesehead at heart. Me too. And that never never leaves. Still a Packer fan? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. I don't follow them, but I love them. <laughs> How's the cheese here? It's pretty good. Oh, my God, you really are a Wisconsin girl. Yeah, it's pretty good. What was the first thing that surprised you about Trieste? Because everything had to be a surprise. What was the one thing that just like, bowled you over? Well, I think the Piazza Unita bowled me over because... Which is? Which is the main square of the city. It's the largest one in Europe. 
that has one wall of it, which is the sea. So we <laughs> that's the claim to fame here because we can't compare it to Piazza San Marco in Venice, which doesn't have, it's not directly on the sea. So they that's how they say, well, we're a little bit better than them for that. So it's smaller, but it's really beautiful. And I think the architecture is surprising because you expect Trieste to be Italian, Italian when in actuality it's more like Venice when you see it. The, the architecture is much more Austro-Hungarian because it was part of the uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire. And yet the beautiful thing is you wake up in the morning and you are really on the sea. That's the most beautiful part. So even there's there are a few buses that give you the best view <laughs> of the city, even if you don't have a car like me, you've got the possibility to really see something Okay, so what day. bus do I take to get the best view? The 42, the 44, the 46, which will take you up to Prosecco oh, see, the Carso. See, you've already figured it out, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, you're the president of the Italian-American Society. Was there an Italian-American Society before you got here? Yes, there was. And I'm not the president, I'm the director. Oh, um, excuse which, me. You know, because the, the president's a great guy. He's a uh, professor at the university who's more American than we are as far as films are concerned, Leonardo Bonomo. Uh, and the association has existed for, it'll be 55 years in November. It was started by the Americans after World War II, World War II during the uh, Allied military government. So obviously other Americans came here the way that you did, not by not by choice. They were sent here and they stayed. Yeah. They probably married Italian women. Yeah, many of them did. And many of the American soldiers actually took them back to America. So there actually is a film series, one called the Ragazze di Trieste, which is about the uh, the Triestina women who went to America with their American husbands. And this was like 50 years later. Wow. And then we did, we, our association, along with the American Embassy in Rome and the consulate in uh, Milan, actually funded, produced another um, another film, which was the follow-up, which is American president or Presence in Trieste. So we're really proud of that. We did that last year. All right, so got to ask the question, how big is the American presence in Trieste? Well, at this point, we think there may be between 50 and 100 of us at any given time, but, or I should say that are more permanent. We also have a lot of researchers coming in. We've got people coming in on two-year contracts for the different uh, science institutes and international international school, et cetera. So there are lots more of us that we don't know, but we meet them and then they kind of come and go. Something tells you that once they get here, you find out they're here. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? All right, so you came here 13 years ago. You were immersed almost immediately in the, in the culture and the history because... You weren't on vacation. You moved here. Yeah, which I thought it would be like vacation. But the first thing I found out after spending a little time with the, my little book at home, learning my grammar, was that... Uh, what was the first word you learned? Well, you know, come stai, tutto bene. The problem was when I got here, people spoke to me. I felt very clever because I'd say, come stai, oh, tutto bene. And then with my husband, come zecho, they speak a dialect here. And nobody told me that because I didn't realize <laughs> that Italy is full of these dialects. So that made me kind of doubly foreign. So I started They knew right to, away. They yeah. knew right away. So I learned the dialect too that was something that was important and made me fit in a little bit better at least when I didn't speak it the fact that I could use some of the words made people like me a little bit better and of course it's all about being liked right exactly okay yeah, yeah. what was the the biggest surprise for you and the biggest challenge I think the language the language itself wasn't a big challenge because I was a French teacher and well, you talk with your you talk here. with your hands come on yeah, uh, gosh, but that wasn't surprising. I don't know what was surprising. What was surprising for me was the attitude. They have an expression that Tristini say, which is no se pol, which is no matter what you ask them, they'll say no. And at first that can be disconcerting. <laughs> well, that's not very welcoming. No, it's terrible. But at some point I realized that if you ask them twice, the second time they'll say yes. So I got over that one pretty quickly. So Except basically you, twice. You, you went for the second question yeah, every time. Every time. Exactly. Yeah. It's always going to be no at first. And I think that can be frustrating for people. And the other thing about Trest, which is amazing, is if you take a look at where you are, you're so close to Venice. Exactly. And not to mention Slovenia. Yes, and we spend a lot of time in both. And in fact, my daughter, who's in, uh, she's starting elementary, but she's in, been in um, preschool. Has your, has your daughter learned to ask the, the second question? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She, yeah, she's very good at doing both, well, saying that, no. And <laughs> no, kids do that all the time. Ask mom, then ask dad. Yeah, she's yeah. pretty good at that too, yeah. But she speaks Slovenian, and that's You're kind kidding. of special. Wow. So she goes to a school in Italy that's taught in Slovenian, so she speaks She'll be trilingual. She'll be trilingual? Yeah, she is already. She's really amazing. So wow. I feel like she's really lucky. You kind of give your kids something that... I learned languages, seven, you know, I was 17 when I learned French, and I learned it, Italian at 30. So I feel like she's pretty lucky. And because of the positioning of the city, I mean, most people in America, first of all, don't really know Trest unless you mention maybe it's close to Venice. They have no clue about Slovenia. 
Right. Um, for a long time, I had to say oh, ex-Yugoslavia, and then people would say, oh, is there still a war there? Now I think people are starting to know where at least Croatia is because of Game of Thrones and things like that. Oh, so you, listen, you go to Dubrovnik, you can't escape it. It's Game of it's Thrones everywhere. slides. Signs and ev everywhere, right? Yeah, the first. It, this is the first time. This last year I went. It was the first time I saw Americans there, and I realized why. It's because oh, there must be something in TV filmed here, otherwise. <laughs> and in fact, Game of Thrones tour. I told my mom. She's like, oh, I need to go to that. So oh I God. realized. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> so now people, I think, are starting to get a culture of where we are. But well, speaking of where you are, a girl from Wisconsin now living in Trieste. Now everybody you've ever known in your life is coming to visit you. Yeah, they have over the years, which is yeah. nice. And so I love it. I love it when people come to visit. Okay, so. okay, so because you're the tour guide. Yeah, I, I know where to, you know, I give them the bus ticket. I give them the old cell phone. I send oh, them on the way. Oh, I have a nice tour. Here's the bus ticket. That's exactly. Your that's your idea of a tour? Yeah, because it's, you know, we got to make people autonomous. Actually, we created a, we've got a Trieste USA tour in, uh, that me. we do through the association that Tell was really me. popular. The sites were the, the things that the Americans did while they were here. But for my people, I've got my whole family coming in June for a reunion, and we're wow. already planning that one, wine tastings and everything else. Tough duty you have. I know, it's tough. Okay, when your it. American friends come to visit, what's the first thing that blows them away? For some reason, people get really excited about coffee here. They get the cappuccino. You can have a really good cappuccino all day. <laughs> it makes the Triestine like, what are they doing? Why are no, they having no, no, a cappuccino no, no, after they're, dinner? They're going through Starbucks withdrawal. Come on. Yeah, it could be. In fact, the Triestini said, thank goodness there's Starbucks. So when we, we go to America, we can finally have a good cup of coffee. That's what they're saying? Yeah, isn't that crazy? See, everybody's it's called coffee envy. I know. Unbelievable. And we've got Il Café here, which is an important uh, coffee brand. So Trieste is a, is a coffee city. So I think that's one of the things that people appreciate. Also, the Carso blows people away when you have a Vitosca, which is a really famous white wine here that if you close your eyes, it tastes like a red wine. It's so rich. When people discover that, this was a grape that was going extinct, and it was saved by families up in the Carso near Prepoto. I don't know if you've been there yet. I have not. Zidarich is our favorite wine from this area. And I think when people realize that there's amazing wine also here, they can't believe it. So beautiful places, beautiful views, awesome wine, great food. Oh, also the food is surprising for people because while there is a, the, you can always get the Italian food or things that we think of as Italian, but Trieste also has uh, its main foods are ham and sauerkraut. And that's surprising. But we're back to Wisconsin now. Exactly. <laughs> You've come full I circle. I feel right at home. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Joining me now, the project director and the coordinator for all this, who's got a big job because this is one big ship. His name is uh, Nemo, no, no, Nemo Lebrano. I got it, didn't I, Nemo? Yes. I did. Right. So when you design a ship like this, you know, it, it's one thing to sit down at a, at a dinner table and, and map it out on a napkin or come up with a concept. But then you're talking pages and pages and pages of drawings and concepts um, and design work. Because you, when you design a ship, it's all about the space, it's all about the functionality, it's all about the seaworthiness, it's all about the materials. You're going out there in salt water, right? Yes, correct. So what have you learned in, in incorporating into the design of the ship to make sure that all that works? Yeah, uh, so um, from the beginning we, we started from a concept and uh, we just wanted to highlight that uh, um, seaside uh, project, um, it, it will be not, uh, not like just any other uh, cruise, of course, a new uh, prototype and uh, a, um, a vessel for everyone. So from the family... So those are the orders the you were given. Do this differently. Yes, completely different project from the others and, of course, also from, from our uh, competitors. And uh, we focus especially, um, we, we call seaside the, the ship that follows the sun. So the entire ship is, uh, is fought for open space, for open air, uh, and from, for uh, uh, just to, 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 to make our guests can enjoy uh, the open space. That's why 
we have the uh, one of the highest uh, ratio uh, compared to, to other, of course, uh, cruise vessel about the, the open air uh, available space per guest. But you also have to, once you're going to have all that open space, you have to come up with ideas about wind and weather and what happens if it's raining, what happens if it's too cold, right? Yeah, of course, if, if it, uh, it's, uh, it's rain, we have uh, an available space, uh, indoor space. You have a sliding roof too? A sliding roof or no? Uh, yes, we have a microdome yeah. that uh, that will will cover uh, one of the main pool of uh, of uh, of our vessels, and uh, of course about the wind, uh, uh, such ships will be certified by our uh, class register that is RINA for comfort class. That means that also during the navigation, so during the sailing of the ships, uh, our guests are are in a comfortable area, even if it is outside. So no matter where you go, you'll be okay. Sorry? No matter where you go on the ship, you'll be okay. Yes, for sure, for sure. What other design factors? You know, when talking to, uh, to Vago, he was saying to me, you know, well, you know, his mother-in-law wants this kind of material, and she wants this, and she wants that. You have to work with that, too. Yes, for sure. Uh, with, uh, with our architects, we, we enjoyed these, uh, these uh, new vessels, and we featured uh, every single space with uh, the best materials, the best uh, colors, the best shape, the best functionality, and so on. Let's talk about color. Yeah. I'm sure that you've done enough study over the years to figure out what colors work and what colors don't. Is there a color you'll never put on a ship? No, to be honest, I don't know. My, but I don't think that uh, maybe any colors is... <laughs> no, because you know, there are certain colors on an airplane, for example. They'll never put, like, you know, hospital green inside an airplane. Because mm -hmm. people get sick, right? Right? So I'm sure that in, in some areas you have to say, no, this color is just not going to work. We want another color. Uh, it's, uh, we, we try, of course, to, to, to have a compromise. <laughs> okay, so is there, a the colors, but is there a material you won't use? Meaning there are certain materials that will work well. I'm not certain that leather is going to do outside very well. I mean, you, you have to figure out, you, you learn by experience what yes, works and what sure, doesn't. for sure. From our histories, uh, we, we learned a lot uh, in terms of functionality of the materials. Like what? Uh, for example, marbles, uh, carpet, uh, and all the others, uh, aluminum, uh, stainless steel, and so on. Okay, so, what, is so you what did you learn about marble? Where does it work and where does it not work? We we choose the to to fit the the the, the vessels. To, we choose of course the the best marble. Let me say. So you're using a lot of marble. We are we are using marble. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. yeah. And we select from the cave, just the, let me say the, the first block of of uh, this marble, and uh, of course of the, the, the production will uh, increase uh, will be increased on board on uh, on the vessels. So, marble's heavy. Right. Yeah. 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 But. The weight doesn't matter that much on a ship this big, I suppose. No, of course, the weight is also, it was also important. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.